0: This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Yo, this Rashani from the single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back, listening to Militantly Mixed. Hey y'all, welcome to Militantly Mix, a podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine, and this is episode 42 of Militantly Mixed, 42 episodes in nine months. We're gonna hit our anniversary date on July 5th, 2019. For me, that is going to be gosh, uh, that's going to be probably one of my best milestones to achieve, to be honest, in my 41 years. And I'm not going to say that that means I haven't been successful in other areas. But the reason why I feel like this is going to be probably the most significant milestone of my life in 41 years is because this is entirely me. Of anything I've ever done or anything I've ever been successful in, it always had to do with doing it for somebody else, be that a company, you know, trying to r- move up in the ranks in a company, but ultimately the company is profiting off of my labor and my intelligence and my education and my work ethic or doing something for people in my, my family or my friends or my loving circle. This is, and that includes me getting my college degrees, my master's and everything like that. Most of my motivations throughout my life have been for someone or something else and this is the first time that i can say with a hundred percent honesty this is the first time that i did something for myself where myself was the reason i was doing it and the person i was trying to satisfy with doing it if that makes sense (laughs) militantly mix is something that i've dreamed about for a couple of years leading up to actually recording the first episode and while it had shifted from what I thought it was going to be to what it has become, and I and just falling in love with what it actually became, and what I'd actually became is so much better than I think my original intention for the show was going to be. This is entirely motivated by doing something for myself that eventually translated into being something for others. So. Mm. I don't think I could ever fully get away from that. I think a lot of people are like this. You do something for others and you just, as much as you would like moments of pure selfishness, ultimately there's some other person or thing involved in in your motivation. And so we're just reflecting, nine months in, reflecting, thinking about what my, my purest motivation for this show in the beginning was to do something for myself that would that was reflective of who I felt that I was. And I do believe that militantly mixed does that, even though I am sharing other people's mixed race experience and mixed race identity stories with the audience. The reason why I do it or did it initially was because I wanted to meet these people. I wanted to hear these stories. I wanted to feel mixed race identity was beyond, was more than just me. Now, with the audience that I've built, with the people that I've been communicating with, either on the show or off the show, I know that there is something more to it where now it feels like not only is it my own motivation of purely selfishly wanting to meet other mixed race people and talk about mixed raceness all the time, I also feel a responsibility to the people who have been listening and have been participating to keep this going and to make this the biggest possible thing in mixedness that I can make it. So that's that's kind of where my head my head is right now, where I am just feeling very grateful that I've had the opportunities I've had as a result of the show. I am feeling that every opportunity that I'm getting as a result of the show is something that I've earned, which I probably haven't felt like that before, quite the same way. And that at the end of the day, if I do this for only a year, For five years, for 10 years, for the rest of my life until the day that I die, I know that its success is based off of how it makes me feel, not necessarily on if I can survive financially on it or it becomes famous or whatever the, you know, whatever the thing is. I will know that however many episodes I've done for this show is entirely mine. I, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't want that to come off sounding awful, but I mean it in the most positive way possible that I don't think we as people give ourselves credit enough or probably better to say give us permission to feel proud of ourselves or proud of things that we've done without feeling a little tinge of guilt. Like I think even now while I'm saying this stuff, I'm also feeling a little tinge of guilt saying it the way that I'm saying it. But I walk around talking about being unapologetically fill in the blank, whatever your deal is. And yet I don't often take my own advice. I mean, I do and I don't. There's spaces in which I'm super unapologetically mixed race. Definitely. I'm super unapologetically polyamorous. But I am apologetically proud of myself. And I think that's something I need to work on. And I think it's something we all probably need to work on. So, yeah, I'm putting it out there. I'm proud of myself for what I created with Militantly Mix. I'm proud of the direction that Militantly Mix is going in. I'm proud of the opportunities that are opening up to me as a result of doing this show, and I'm just I'm just proud. <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and work on the unapologetic side of being proud for the show right now. Okay. So moving on. Uh, I know I said I was going to take a break in April. I know I said the last couple weeks I've been failing at it at this point, let's just admit it's a total failure. I have been busier this month than I have been in a long time. Uh, part of that busyness has to do with me trying to fight off my major depression. Uh, I've talked about it on the show several times. I am a person that is suffers from depression, as my baseline, chronic, persistent depression that is always going to be with me. But on occasion, I go into these bouts of really, really dark, heavy, what is called major depression. That has been creeping on me for a while now. Ever since March, when my first, my cat Revan got sick, and then my cat Ronan unexpectedly died, and Revan is still sick, and now I'm dealing with the grief of the loss of one, and the possible future loss of you know, near future loss of my other one, of any other one. I have four all together. Uh, you know, I've been fighting that. I'm not happy in my day job, which part of my not being happy in my day job is the fact that I want to do main hustle media and all this podcasting full time. I just can't afford to do it. But the other part of it is I'm not in a very healthy work environment at the moment. And so my day job is very uh, life force sucking, for lack of a better way of saying it. Uh, so I'm just dealing with a lot. My husband's bike was stolen. I had a custom made weighted blanket to help me with anxiety and insomnia that was Black Panther and it was beautiful. I could see it on Instagram and uh that was stolen as soon as it was delivered to my house. So I've had just a bunch of I've just had a bunch of things like on the personal side of my life that have gone really bad, really wrong. And then simultaneously on the militantly mixed or the main hustle media side things have been like shooting off skyrocketing in a positive direction so my baseline i have no idea where it's at right now because my militantly mixed stuff is on a trajectory that's going up really high on a high slope and my personal life is stuff that's like just all going down on a very low and 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 steep trajectory so i do not know where my baseline is right now and i've allowed my quote unquote break in April to just be filled with distracting activities or taking on extra projects that I don't have time for or whatever, just to kind of fight off major depression creeping in my direction. So I got a lot of stuff going on that I'm trying to figure out how to balance and I'm not balancing it very well, not to mention a health issue, a bunch of other stuff. So, (sighs) ah I say all that to say that while I do believe it is important and I should definitely have and continue should should also do give myself that break, I know that I'm not going to, so. (laughs) So yeah, that's where we're at, but I'm looking forward to a few things and I'm just gonna keep going and whatever happens happens and hopefully I can get myself a little bit of peace coming down the pipe later but it's also hard to anticipate that that that's going to be even a possibility because we're coming up to the anniversary date of militantly mixed and i also have two new shows that are launching in the summertime. And I have a whole new third show that I wasn't even anticipating that I might be creating based off of a conversation I had with somebody about different opportunities that are coming up on the pipe. So it's just like a crazy busy, but all positive good time. Uh, so it's with that in mind, with uh, with this recent traveling that I've done for Militantly Mix on the Road and the episode that you heard last week, the one you're gonna hear today, and a couple of other subsequent episodes you're going to hear with these in-person interviews. I decided to launch another fundraiser specifically for Militantly Mixed on the Road. This will help promote both the show and myself for speaking panels and uh, conferences. It's going to help promote the show for maybe setting up uh, in-person tapings or live tapings in various places. It's going to start out with a focus in California if I can, and then just kind of branch out as opportunities present themselves. There is a mixed-race conference in the Midwest I've just discovered. So if it's not too late for that, I also would like to apply to speak at that event. So it's just a bunch of stuff that it would be it would helpful to have it would be helpful to have some um, fundraising done for that so what we're doing is we're doing a $2,500 fundraiser between now and our anniversary date of July 5th 2019 this is all going to be done through PayPal you can go to paypal.me slash mixed to donate anything as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish with the base goal of being $2,500 all of the money that's collected for this will be used directly for promoting Militantly Mixed on the road portions panels conferences live Live recordings in front of an audience starting here in California possibly maybe this mixed race conference in the Midwest if the timing is right and I'm able to do it so that's where we're at if you would like to contribute on a monthly basis to the show however just to continue keeping us hosted on the air and help us develop the website and everything like that growth in that direction you can go to patreon.com slash and that's where you would subscribe on a monthly level there are early episodes or exclusive episodes that'll be made available to you if you donate anything more than a five dollar level I believe is where those kick in Um, but you can donate as low as a dollar to as high as anything you wish you can either get a reward at the level that you donate for or you can say you don't want the award whichever works for you that is patreon.com slash mixed and as always I really enjoy the engagement with the audience members whether they want to come on the show or not uh, we are on twitter and instagram at mixed, so you can hit us up directly commenting on pictures on instagram or send dms Or respond to our tweets Uh, also retweet the show episodes and the links that we put up on there and engage with me directly a lot of the people that you've heard on the show have been people who have reached out to me through social media so uh, continue to do that if you would like to come on the show or if you just want to engage about the show that is a good place to do that we also have a Facebook group page facebook.com slash militantlymixed and I post articles from time to time and I post things about the show there is some engagement on there a little bit more would be really cool though so please consider joining that liking that page and joining the discussions there and then as always you can always email me directly at charmaine at militantlymixed.com and that is s is in sam h-a-r m as in mary a n as in nancy e at So that's all the logistics done. Moving on to episode 42. My guest this week is Sam. She was the first of the students that they provided for me at Sierra College to interview through the various equity organizations that are on campus. And I gotta say, as a former Sierra College student, there was not a lot of these same resources on campus back when I was there. I was going to school there between 1996 and 2000. I was working full time and trying to go to school at the same time. So it took me a lot longer to get my bachelor's than the standard. And at the time that I was there, the only group that I recall was the equal opportunity so it was E-A-O-P, but I don't remember what that stood for. And so I got to participate in a couple of different things. So this is sort of like the beginnings of us considering equity in students as a thing on campus. Um, so I was a part of that when I was a student at Sierra College. Now they have several equity organizations on campus, including uh, the LGBT spectrum. They have women and gender uh And the other ones are escaping me. I apologize for that. But this was the first of those interviews that I conducted with students through the various equity organizations. My guest this week is named Sam, and she is a white presenting mixed race woman. And her story is very interesting because she filters her mixed race identity through her eating disorder. So this is one of the first times that we're going to be tackling the, the subject of an eating disorder and sort of how race and culture speak through that eating disorder what I found really interesting about this discussion with Sam is that she actually identifies first through her eating disorder and then through her ethnicity and genders and sexuality and things like that so it's a pretty fascinating conversation and I am really grateful to everybody involved on campus that helped make this stuff possible to have me on campus and interviewing students. We were in the Equity Center at the time. And so it's an open environment. People can come in and come out as they wish uh, using different resources that are there on campus. And so there were people that would come in and sit and listen to us do the recording and they would leave. You could hear a lot of atmospheric sounds. There's birds chirping in the background, things like that. Uh, Students walking around as as classes are emptying and filling back up. So you hear a lot of that. And also because it was on the road and was one of my first times doing it, um, the setup was such that for whatever reason, and my voice is quite a bit quieter than the microphone for my guests just kind of a strange thing uh, but it's a great interview and I'm really excited to be able to share it with y'all going forward though I do have three more student interviews to share with you but I think I'm going to break it up a little bit next week I'm actually going to share a panel discussion that I recorded back in I want to say February with two former guests of Militantly Mixed Marie Watchkey and Palmira Muniz they both talked to me in sort of a panel way about being of mixed race, ethnic origin from countries that are occupied or colonized by the U.S. So it's a very specific conversation that we have. I'm going to share that with y'all next week, and then we'll go back into the, both the student interviews and the other interviews that I have banked. So um, that's where we're at, and I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye for now. Without further ado, please help me in welcoming Sam to the Middle of the Mixed Family. We're here today at Sierra College to uh, meet with a couple students for my various shows, and today I am joined by Sam, and she is a student here, and we are going to talk about being our mixed-ass
1: selves. <laughs> uh, Sam, why don't you introduce yourself, and, uh, and let's get into it. Hi, my name's Sam. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I'm kind of a mixed bag of emotions right now (laughs) in a lot of of ways. um, I was kind of approached thinking, I was kind of approached about like doing the podcast through, um, you know, Love Your Body Week on Mm. campus. Um, And I think they reached out to me just because I've been very vocal about, um, you know, battling with an eating disorder pretty much my entire life. But Mm. I haven't really ever taken into account of like talking about um, my sexuality or like, you know, my race. I didn't even think about that lens, if that makes sense, that like okay. f- mixing all of that together and thinking about, it, I think that's kind of my deal. I think I'm just kind of all over the place. Trying to figure yeah. <laughs> out what's the
0: identity. I mean, yeah. it makes sense given the, I mean, this is the time we start to do it. Is when we right. are first kind of adults because we've graduated high school and now we're in college, but we're still kind of like we don't know who we are yet and stuff. I like get yeah. that. So you kind of filter your identity first through your eating disorder, and then it goes into all of your other.
1: I think I so. Um, I first really, like, knew I had an eating disorder. It was different than other people um, pretty much when I was, like, 12. That's when it when it really um, skyrocketed for me. Um, I, I didn't like to eat around other people. I didn't mm-hmm. like very many foods. I didn't want to eat in public, if that makes sense. Um, and I already – I looked different than the people around me, very much so.
0: In terms of, like, your, your features or, like, your physical –
1: my features, and then also, um, I grew up very poor. That mm-hmm. I and I grew very fast, so I'm five eight, but like I was like five four by the time I hit you know fourth grade. I was taller than my teacher. That, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, just,
0: I'm four now, <laughs> right? <laughs> we're just, we're just, we're
1: just exactly. Grade. So I was just like this big gangly kid yeah. that we couldn't keep clothes on. If that makes sense. Yeah. So And we we struggled with money. That um, my I grew up with a grandparent in place of a father in the home. That um, she knew how to sew, so she would. We would go thrift store shopping together, and we would pick out the coolest clothes that we could find, mm-hmm. and my grandma would sew them to me, or make adjustments so I could wear them and look like, um, you know, the kids in the area, because mm-hmm. the kids were rich. Oh, okay. That um, and I. That was another thing. Not having a dad in the home, it looked weird. And then I was, um, I was very brown because I was always outside, so I was tan skin, super tall, with you know dark features. My hair was long and black, and. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you
0: understand what your uh, well I guess we didn't get into that. Did you understand what your ethnic mix was and how that made you different than the people you were growing up around?
1: We never really talked about it in my house. Like we always joked that we were, you know, different than other people and we all looked different. My my mom's side of the family, no one looks the same. They don't even look related. Yeah. That um we kind of had everything. We had we had every race, you know, essentially. In, in our household or within our family, but we never spoke about it. Mm. So I looked different, but I didn't understand that you didn't at even all. Know why no. You looked different.
0: no. Did it ever come up where, in, like, kids being punk kids and saying stuff, and you go home and, like, well, why did they make fun of me because of this? And you had no answers for
1: it? My mom actually, I, I, I realized it in first grade because my mom, we were, um, in first grade, we were standing out in line, and one of the women next to my mom, um, asked where my father was, and and my mom was like, oh, you know, he he's not in the house. Um, well, I was really brown, and everybody else was really really white. Um, and she goes, oh, so you guys are mixed. There's one other mixed family in this school, and that was literally how my mom my mom just went pale white and just was like okay, like, my mom had no idea how to handle it, and I didn't know, I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're mixed, and that was it, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, that's the thing that I always talk about is, like, in my family, both sides of my family were mixed, so we did talk about it, but the other mixed kids I knew identified with whatever brown they were, so, you know, I had Asian mixed friends, we grew up around military, books, I had Asian mixed friends, I had black mixed friends, whatever, and so whatever your brown was, was what you were, but then you'd have to have a caveat, but I got a white mama. Or I got you know, <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. You would throw it back so everybody knew why you were a lighter shade of brown than what they were expecting. Um, so in your case, and our parents don't really prepare us because they don't no. really know how to talk about it because especially if they're monoracial, they're not going to have the language to, to explain to you why you are different. And that's actually something I'm working on right now is to no longer call myself different.
1: Yeah. And like yeah. think about they are different
0: from me. Yeah, But rather than me being the different one And I'm 41 just trying to have that (laughs) Trying to deal with that identity thing So in your case You almost have an opportunity To embrace mixedness in your family Your mom gets presented with somebody But she doesn't know what to say And so it just kind of
1: Away after that? Yeah. Well, yeah, because my mom, my mom looks very white. And then I have my older brother kind of was um, the father figure in my life for a really long time. And he looks very, very white because he is like he he's not. We have different backgrounds. Um, okay. But my mom, my mom looks white. But again, she's not. I told you before, right. but um, we're Native American, but it doesn't present the same way. Within um, each person within the family. Also oh, from relative to relative. Oh relative. yeah, her so brothers. You yeah.
0: You have four different tribal relations. Mm-hmm. Are you tied into the cultures of those tribes?
1: We we were kind of kept away. To be honest with okay. you, we were not raised with those cultures. Which which um, now now I wish I was. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, I wish I had that tie, but we really don't.
0: So if you were now in this sort of time of trying to map out your own identity if you were to try to reach out to those spaces you would have limited access or no access pretty much yeah would you feel so okay something that comes up on the show often is the idea of sort of this imposter syndrome that we have because we're not all of one thing and while we sit there and like try on yeah, <laughs> yeah. um on a regular basis like i'm gonna be black today i'm gonna be exactly for in my case do you get those moments where you're just like it's not your fault, you weren't raised around it, but you want access to it, and how do you bust into those things without coming off as the pale girl trust trying to be type of thing, which happens to all of us. Do you have moments like that of trying to figure out that that self-discovery stuff, or you're just like, whatever they let me do, I'll take it.
1: Pretty much but I'll say both for that, but <laughs> I'll say both, both. But there's definitely moments where, um, like, even in conversations about race with people in this area in particular, um, I think they assume that I'm white mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, Caucasian, whatever you want to call it. What I they think I identify as that, but I, I don't. But I also don't, I don't know if I voice my real opinion on things mm-hmm. often about it because I feel like it may come off differently because I don't. Right. Um, I'm not connected to those cultures, if that makes sense. So
0: you feel almost like you don't have permission to speak in brown spaces because you don't present brown? Yes. Okay. I mean, that's super common. Yeah. Like, a lot of us have to feel like that. Like, am I allowed to be the loudest voice if I don't present as dark as the rest of the people from my group or whatever? I, get, I, I completely get that. You may or may not get to a time where you just don't care, and you're just like, yeah. this is so why can't I? you might try that off for a minute and be like oh, i don't know
1: I don't no <laughs> yeah
0: too so when when you're walking around though you, you said earlier that you don't think necessarily through your race or racial groups first or or maybe even fifth or sixth when have there been moments in your life where race has come up and you have to face your own identity in those moments besides right now when i'm asking you questions about race?
1: Um, I, I would say yes, just because um, both sides of my family are, are very different. My father's side is very um, – they present white, but they're not, if that makes sense. And they're very um, tied to, you know, very conservative beliefs in some ways. And sometimes that comes off very um, – I don't want to say racist, but that's the word that's coming out. So sometimes that is um, – that comes across that way with that side of the family. And my mom's side is very different. Um, they're very inclusive and they believe in diversity. Obviously, my family wouldn't <laughs> be here if it I wasn't. That, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, I think I'm presented with it often between um, both sides of the family of just um, caring about what's going on in the world and, and you know, showing diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I feel like I have to I have to play white <laughs> with my dad's side of the family and sometimes I feel like mm-hmm. I have to lean a little bit more into um my eth- my ethnic diversity on on my mom's side. So. You
0: mentioned also that you had you Korean. Which side did that pop up
1: on? On my dad's side, funny enough, my dad's side is Hawaiian and um, Korean as well as I think my grandpa's Scottish. Okay. He's he's really big. He's he's a big dude. And <laughs> My grandma is like barely five foot. So <laughs> it's it's a funny mix those two. But um, they're very um, conservative. He was a police officer, and you know he he that's tied into his identity
0: and they don't talk about it they don't talk about the racial background or all that
1: kind of no is. it's weird and like her mother came from um i want to say korea and like that was my dad's grandmother and like they grew up with the kids mm-hmm. and you know they had weird cultural things that happened you know grandma only let them eat with chopsticks at her house and right. you know no shoes in the house and right. i Does guess she didn't have food tables.
0: stuff filter out like because a lot of us attach to yeah. our food, so. Did that filter down so that you were also eating Korean foods or Hawaiian foods or anything
1: like that when you were a kid? No, personally. I, but I didn't grow up with my dad in right. the home. So, funny enough, our, like, tie to the culture is wontons. I just visited my dad, like, back um, for two weeks and, during Christmas time. And our final night, we made great grannies, wontons. But, mm-hmm. like, that was, like, our tie to the culture. That's how oh, we talked so, about so it. <laughs> the recipe and the family was doing it.
0: that's that's a good way to feel kind of cultural yeah but but beyond that that's like the most conversation that you even get to have with his side
1: yeah pretty Uh, much pretty much that's weird okay so you're interesting (laughs) to
0: me because I'm trying to figure out how like for me I can't exist where I don't think about being a yellow presenting black person first. like that I can't it's just so I'm trying to figure out how does it feel for you I want to know sort of how you maneuver in spaces do you get uncomfortable in brown spaces because you don't
1: feel like you have access um sometimes I'll say sometimes because sometimes I feel like I'm just not um I wasn't raised believing like okay what like I knew I was different but I wasn't raised to believe that I'm different because of my culture if that makes sense like I'm different because I look different not because you know this is what we do in our home and this is how we celebrate our history and and you know our diversity but I didn't you, I, yeah. You just didn't
0: have <laughs> no. So, when you're picturing like the little person behind your eyeballs, the the little Wizard of Oz character, what, how do you think of yourself? What is your?
1: I'd say white. I know that sounds weird, but I'd say white. And do you get
0: defensive when people just assume?
1: I do. I get very defensive over it because I think I don't like the. I know this sounds weird, but I don't like the term white because it's not. I, I'd like to identify that culture in that area, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, I'd rather be Eastern European or something like that rather that, than right. just, like, white and black because so they, we're just like not. So, uh, uh, distinctions,
0: you want ethnic distinctions.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so, personally for me. Yeah. And, but I think it's weird because, like I said, I knew I was different growing up. I didn't look like anybody. But at the same time, like, I can think of the families who were mixed from first grade all the way through high school. And I can count them on one hand, if that makes sense. Oh, so, it's like, I grew up, with people who didn't look like me, who weren't, a, like, who basically had to adapt to a culture to be accepted into it. Where you can it. kind of slide in yeah.
0: and, and exist without it coming up if you didn't, if you chose, didn't choose to yeah. it come
1: out. When well, um, I think no one really brought it up, other than, you know, the woman who was like, oh, you're mixed, you right. know, that was it.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you grow up in a primarily white space,
1: yeah. you
0: very little, um, and, for me, I didn't understand that. Like, I didn't grow up around white people. I grew up around my one British grandmother. Um, she was the only white person that I really ever saw besides like the occasional friend's white mom or something. Um, and then I become an adult, and suddenly I'm in a white space, like a primarily yeah. white space, and I'm just like, you people Whoa. You know, like, I <laughs> yeah. don't know how to be around, I don't yeah. know. Because we talk about race all the time, and when you're in a group of white people, you bring over, <laughs> they're just like, whoa. Exactly. You know, I didn't have that experience. I didn't know how to maneuver in that space. Now I understand not always to bring it up. Well, I mean, fuck it. I'm going to bring it up. But like, I No, get, bring it up. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, there, there were times in which I just coasted on sort of uh, respectability politics where you just kind of like, I don't want to be the bad brown example mm-hmm. and because it's going yeah. to carry over to everybody. And even though... Nobody looks like me because I look like a Dominican, black, Japanese person. Um, everybody thinks I'm Dominican.
1: <laughs> I get Puerto Rican, I get it. <laughs> Rican, well, it depends on what side of the country. So right. East Coast, I'm Puerto Rican or Dominican, and West Coast, I'm Mexican or Filipino. Yeah, exactly. I had a Filipino lady at a Costco once
0: tell me uh, she had a nice boy for me, and I told her that I was already partnered and it's no big deal. Di- you know. And she's like, no, 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 just break up. I got a nice boy. We start talking, and then it comes out that I'm Japanese. She goes, wait you're not Filipino? And I was like, no. She's like, oh, I thought you were a nice girl. She's like, no, my son's not right for you. Oh my God. The two things were offended. I was like, why is your, son, why am I not right for your son? All of a sudden, okay. even though I didn't care. And the second part was, <laughs> and the second part was like, wait, did you say I'm not a nice girl? Like right? all of a sudden I wasn't, I wasn't a good, because I wasn't a Filipino, I was no longer a nice girl. Um, so like, yeah, I guess there's something, cause I have like a vaguely Asian face, but nobody, th- no one would ever think Japanese, so they're like, well, what's the weird-looking Asian, and it's Filipino,
1: <laughs> that's the thing, I, and the people just straight-up
0: said it, like, you, you're kind of that's Asian, not... but you're, like, weird Asian, so you must be Filipino, I've straight up had somebody say that. like,
1: you. yes, thank you, that yeah, is yes. how I describe myself yeah. No, <laughs> And then people will be you,
0: because you don't have pride for the groups that they're, right the mistakes they make in their identity, what, you're not proud that you look, you know, white, or you're not proud that you look Puerto Rican, or something, I get that a lot, too, so... How, Okay, does this white passing thing, like, I'm fascinated by <laughs> yeah. because it's come up on the show a couple of times, and a lot of times it's coming up where the person feels like they don't have permission, which you kind of yeah. mentioned are like, you don't have permission in a brown space to be a voice. Um, you feel like you're taking a chair from the seat of the table versus having uh, extra chair. Yeah. And my position is that whatever your deal is, you drag your own fucking chair. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you yeah. elbow people until they make room <laughs> so they can sit at the table. So I feel like a white presenting person absolutely should have a space, understanding that there are privileges that we have as lighter-skinned people yep. within our brown communities that we're going to have experiences that are different from our darker-skinned counterparts. So when you do. When something happens that turns your stomach enough, where you feel like you you absolutely have to step in, and maybe even worse, using your light skin privilege as as the means of yeah. what's gonna whatever you're about to do. Have you been confronted about that kind of stuff? Have you had those moments? And if you have had those moments, what what have you done?
1: I I have a quick temper. I'll say that first of all, I have a quick temper, but I usually I usually try and think it through. Um, a lot of those conversations that get uncomfortable or that bring up a space where I have to be the one who, who confronts it, it's usually about um, something going on politically mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, and and people are so open to, to make racist comments. Like I know that sounds, like I feel like that should be appalling that shouldn't be a part of <laughs> where we are as a world now, but um, I think I get really upset when it comes to, you know, a black and white perspective because it's it's not, we're not just, you know, one race. I mean even if you are, it's okay, but I just hate that it's one side versus the other still right. to this day. That right. bothers me. Um and I feel like it's usually about something going on politically, like police issues especially because I come from, you know, a police family if that makes sense, but a lot of a lot of my views are are uh, pretty middle of the road or mm-hmm. usually leaning the opposite way which is which is hard for a lot of people to understand because again I present white to some people I guess Mm -hmm. um I have some conservative views and others I'm like so far left it's not even (laughs) funny because it's just who I am as a person and I don't I yeah it's usually it's usually about race if that makes sense or, or something political going on
0: so I had, um, the very first time the white-pressing thing even came up on my show, and honestly, and I feel bad to say this, but, you know, I I'll, I try to own my stuff as much as possible on the show. I fully disregarded the mixed white-presenting person as being a part of our community because I felt like what people have said mm-hmm. to you, just slide on in. Like, just, yeah, yeah, just yeah, exist. Yeah. You know, at least you have this benefit that you could just maneuver the world without having to <laughs> yeah. be who you are, which is... Now, hearing those types of words, you're just like, oh, gosh, that's so ridiculous. But back then, it was like, yeah, you got, you got the golden ticket. Yeah. You can walk yeah, around yeah. without these type of things. Um, but now, I think it's probably more important that, unfortunately, those of us that are lighter do insert ourselves in places as sort of a barrier between, um, I mean, sometimes, I think it helps sometimes. I think it's a risk, but I think it helps yeah. sometimes. Um, but one of the things that someone brought up once was how easy it is for white people to do the check, make sure there's no brown people around, say whatever it oh, is that's they're going to say, and then you're in the room faced with a decision, <laughs> do I out myself to confront the racism? Do I confront the racism with them believing I'm just white? These are two <laughs> Yeah, like no, it's yeah, things. no. Like are Those are too, when, Yeah. Um. it's none of their business for you to out you. Like, why should you have to mm-hmm. out yourself just because? Or why should you being who you are be the reason why they stop being racist? When it could mm-hmm. just be, this is a moment to use your white privilege, pretend you're white, and be like, this is wrong, you should not be racist, you know, and then you have your whole thing. So you're faced with this decision on a regular basis. Do I come out as mixed, or do I just combat the racism on its own face. What do you do?
1: Come out. You can't have that conversation openly without saying, you're saying that to my face, this is how I look, but this is also my culture and Mm -hmm. this is my, you know, these are my ethnic ties, this is part of who I am. So yeah, I may look like this, but you don't get to say those things. And it's like how many other people have been told those things and haven't confronted Mm -hmm. that awkward situation where someone is gonna say something that's hateful and should not even be said, because they feel that you're white enough for them to say it. Yeah. Like, that's not... It's a safe we're never going to end that... I don't want to say segregation. We're never going to end the segregation or open the door to the conversation if we continue to keep letting it happen, yeah. if that makes sense. And saying, like, oh, it's okay because he thinks I'm white. Like,
0: not even that, but just being like, I'm not going to tell him I'm a person of color. I'm just going to tell him that he's wrong and that it's another white face telling him that it's wrong. Yeah. I mean, that... that I'm curious about what those moments are like. I imagine they're really painful for the white-passing person who chooses it's awkward. in the moment not to do it. Um, yeah. But see, in my see, this is so stupid. My show is called Militantly Mixed, and I identify myself as, as mixed, and I have always. But technically, I have no racial description. Mm-hmm. Because race means the, basically how people see yeah, yeah. yeah i'm in, i'm too racially ambiguous no one could tell me i'm black or white or whatever because i'm oddly yellow but i have a black
1: face. Right, kind of yeah.
0: so i technically have no race but i have several ethnic groups or whatever so i've never and when the black side we call incognito my granddad would call us <laughs> because i could walk around and people wouldn't know i'm black Oh, non-black people wouldn't know i'm black um, but black people would and so i could get the tea and then come back home and be like oh this is what or something. Oh like my that.
1: god, I've never even you know, thought about that.
0: Yeah, it's double-spy thing. But like, even for me, like, my brother actually presents more white-ish. Like, he's got darker skin, but he has more white features, so he can actually exist in a white space a lot more comfortably mm-hmm. than I could. And in fact, he probably identifies himself more on the white side than I do, even though he's got the darker skin. He just looks like a, like a tan white guy. You know, yeah. You know, rough, yeah. roughly Asian, maybe like a Sean Lennon or somebody that sort of has... That yellow brown yes. but looks white. And I don't I don't have that, so I don't know how to just exist uh, when racial things come up without me being like, oh, hell no. <laughs> that's, well, that's me, yeah.
1: <laughs> I wasn't always that way, though. I think that comes with... Um, I'm 22 now, but if you had said that to my 18-year-old self, I don't think I would have said anything because I grew up not recognizing... Like, I knew I was different, but I didn't know that... And you that, went to that, primarily white high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, no, and I went from first grade till high school I went to school with pretty much the oh, same, same people. people so we just moved schools and we were all together. So you together.
0: Even, like, try to just all of a sudden <laughs> come no. up with a new identity and like, hey, no. you're like you not it, a kid. Exactly. Okay. Yeah so yeah. college opens that up for you though. You, yeah. You college and you start to have that. and is it just because
1: you're starting to see more brown and yellow faces? Yes I'll be honest when I walked on campus this was the most um, diverse campus I've ever been on. I literally texted my partner and was like I've never seen this much diversity on campus, and I love it, Mm. but, like, it bothers me that (laughs) I'm, you know, 20 years old walking on a college campus going, oh, my God, there's people who are different, you know what I mean? (laughs) But that's that's such life, that's such such college life, though, you end up
0: getting exposed to people that you Yeah. Um, For me, I had the reverse. I grew up primarily around uh, black and Mexican kids and Asian kids, and then I moved so my parents we bounce, you know, depending on which parent I lived with, bounce around. And so I come back to Sacramento in so- a sophomore year. Um, and so the kids I grew up with, like from first to third grade or first to fourth grade, I left, and then I come back. So now I'm like the high school version of me, and I'm ghetto because I I lived in I lived in the hood and stuff like that. So they knew <laughs> me as like suburban Charmaine, and then I go into high school, and all of a sudden I'm ghetto Charmaine, and they did not like. I was just a different person. I yeah. just happened to look like someone that they were raised around. So coming to Sierra was the opposite. It was yeah. the most. White.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And even though there was a lot of brown and yellow faces, coming from where I came from, oh gosh, this is this is actually really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what I want to say about it. I, all I know is that for me, the experience of coming to Sierra was like, look at
1: all these white people, and for you, it was like, look at all these people of color. Yeah, no. <laughs> <That's awesome>. yeah, <laughs> that just yeah. shows you how weird experiences because we have yeah, totally yeah. exactly yeah. because
0: even right now just walking
1: around to, no it's yeah
0: to get here from the parking lot and not remembering the campus very well so I'd like to go find the map over there in the quiet and the yeah I was like look at all these white people and then I sprouted one brown person and I was like hey you? yeah <laughs> it's so funny that's no weird huh that's so, so weird <laughs> though it's just funny that we have that opposite experience. Okay. <laughs> That's weird. So, okay, now we're talking about, let's kind of get into more aspects of, of identity. Do you, um, so I already kind of told you, I don't know if I did on the recording, but before we, when we got we got to talking, I talked about how I'm like hierarchical in sort of my way mm-hmm. of thinking. Where some people choose to be, or their view, they naturally kind of view things as like, I'm a gay person, or I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a straight person, or I'm a this or that, but people of color have to tend to put their ethnic, ethnicity or their presentation their racial presentation ahead of whatever their other deals are because I'm going to look at you first and I'm going to see a white-ish person Mm -hmm. and then I then I can ask the questions okay white-ish person what is your other stuff (laughs) right yeah whereas like for me I'm first POC and then I'm LGBT right yep and so I have to I have to explain that to them when, when you as you're dealing with all of your different trying to figure out what your <laughs> your um identifiers are the first thing that comes into your head when you think of yourself what are you identity wise what do you think
1: of? I say woman I know that sounds weird but that, no, that's, that's my name. first one you know, <laughs> I recognize name, it though. yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> because you know as I told you like for me I, I have to go like four or five tiers down yeah. before I even oh yeah and I'm a woman and that's because my experience is primarily racial, like, where I grew mm-hmm. up, it, it had to be that way. So, okay, so you're a woman first, and then what is womanness for you?
1: Oh, that's deep. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but, um, I think it's just being able to express, um, my gender the way I want to, if that makes sense, is being able to express like you can how be I girl feel if you want, or you can yeah.
0: be unisex you know, or ambiguous or something
1: Oh like yeah, whatever. all the time.
0: You can go through it, but you're still like, but I'm still a woman and see yeah. me in this way.
1: Yeah. What
0: do you what do you need to feel what do you need people to see you as first? Like mm. in terms of the idea of like mm-hmm. in thinking of representation matters, if you're seeing yourself portrayed, on the screen or on the TV or something like that, what makes you feel like you're seeing yourself?
1: I think probably seeing a strong female character, if that makes sense. Like, I always want to see a strong female character. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Gender or sexual orientation, but it's a strong female.
1: Well, yeah, I'm also bisexual, if that makes sense. And I've had just as many female partners as I have male. I always say partner. I've been with someone for... Four and a half years now. <laughs> We've been together, you know, monogamous. But um I think I always just see a woman, I gravitate towards that. That's my comfort if that makes sense. So
0: who's like your champion of womanness in representation right
1: now? Ooh. Do you have one? I don't think I have uh, that sounds awful. I shouldn't even say that I don't have one. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not even gonna let that fly out of my mouth. <laughs> you, 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 my you champion. Not oh my about. god. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. What are so there weird. examples? Are there people that you can think of when you're
0: just like, Oh yes, fine?
1: yes politically but no at the same time if that makes sense because like through my lens i may not look like them but i support them if that makes sense like i heard yeah. someone say to me i finally see a woman of or you know a person of color in a political space that i identify with mm-hmm. like um i had a teacher tell me you know for the first time i believe that i could have a president that looks like me mm-hmm. and i've i've never thought of that mm-hmm. so i felt like that was so powerful because it's a conversation I've never had in any space, you know, throughout my life. Right. That that has never come into my brain because I just believe, you know, like I said, my little Wizard of Oz is white. So yeah. I've never considered, you know, what, what does it look like to see me
0: seeing a white male president doesn't make you feel like, oh my people are out there at all. But if you were to see even if you were to see a white woman president, that would be more of a an example of seeing yourself.
1: I think so. That so, sounds bad, but yeah. No, a,
0: you know you can be unapologetic. I know, right? I know, like <laughs> so,
1: sorry. <laughs> no, but like, that's
0: another part of womanness, though, right? They put it on us. We're kind of conditioned. We apologize. Yeah. We step back, and even as we're out here trying to like fight the power, we're just like sorry. I need to revolution. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, so true though. <laughs> that's so true though. <laughs> it
1: happens,
0: and I do it too, and I have it from the the Japanese side too. Is like culturally yeah. being demure. so. Are you familiar with the concept of code switching?
1: Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Um,
0: I always have to ask. Uh, so with code switching, though, like I think of myself as sort of like this code switching ninja because I'm black one moment, I'm Japanese, the next, am yeah. not white, but I have my Becky voice or whatever. First, <laughs> Becky voice yeah. work. Uh, in fact, usually what you hear on the show is my Becky voice, uh, just in terms of like enunciation and stuff. But the Japanese code switch for me, actually, my whole body changes. I hunch over... I talk with a certain cadence, mm-hmm. a softer cadence. I'm like, um, deferential, things like that. And this is just because of my Japanese example is my grandmother. And, and while she is one of the strongest uh, women that I know, and she is, you know, sort of an idol for me, she's also a Japanese woman, yep. you know? So, just, like, so I can't help <laughs> yeah. it. And if I talk to other Japanese, I automatically do it. And I have no, I don't realize it's happening. And uh, and my partner calls me on it when when they see it at the uh, grocery store when I go to the Japanese Aww. grocery store and started laughing and be like you went from talking to me to the second the woman <laughs> asked you and I, and I like my cadence changed and I you know I was like nodding and bowing and the whole time and then as soon as we got out of the grocery store I straightened up and and he and then he laughed again and it was just like what happened just then you know it's not that's like wild I hadn't to watch seen me code switch but that was that was a code switch to a stranger. That he hadn't seen, because he'd seen it at my house, mm-hmm. in my family, but uh, it was just a weird um, a weird little moment uh, that happened only recently because we live in a primarily Japanese area. What is your version of code switching, since you present white?
1: My, my family is very um, Southern. My father lives in Georgia, and my mom's side of the family is all from Georgia, so they... I mean, they are loud and proud that a woman should be in the kitchen, if that makes sense. And, like, literally, when we have people over, the women are cooking in the kitchen, and they're preparing all the meals while the men are playing cards, watching TV, drinking, you know, while the kids are outside sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And if the kids come in, they come into the kitchen. So I grew up where, you know, this is where you belong. Like, you know what I mean? In such a weird way that I catch myself doing it all the time. I do it in my partner's family space because that his um his father is from another country, but he's very old world. Like he comes home from working and he wants a meal and he expects it to be, you know, a five-star meal from his wife who, you know, doesn't matter if she's been working today. She's been frolicking as far as he's right. concerned. That I, I kind of, I code switch constantly because I'm pretty loud and I'm pretty, you know, boisterous. But when I go into spaces where I know it's supposed to be like a male-dominated space or, um you know, I'm supposed to serve my man or whoever, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I very much so will do it. And that, bo- that bothers, bothers me, yeah. but I don't recognize it until it's already done. Because right. then I'm like, oh, because I grew up watching it, that that was what's expected of me.
0: Do you talk about it
1: with your partner? Does yeah, we do. And he is very open and he does not, he's like, no, he's, he'll do the dishes. He'll, he cleans up, we're raising chickens. He cleans up the chickens. We'll and chickens. <laughs> Yeah. That right, <laughs> <laughs> We are. <laughs> but he's, he's the chicken dad. He'll go take care of all the stuff. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't really do much. Thanks babe. But you know, <laughs> that, um, no, he's very, he recognizes that, that's not a life he wants to live, if that makes sense. That's yeah. not that's not gonna be our norm. That may be our norm right now, but not in the future.
0: Is he going to try to combat it on his family side?
1: He has. It goes pretty much nowhere. His his um they all kinda believe that, if that makes sense. That is what is supposed to happen. I mean, I love his mother, but she still will do everything for her son and her husband mm. and that's okay that there i mean that's just i mean i guess that's okay but um that's how she yeah. you know wants to live her that's life true. but um
0: are yeah they and monocultural?
1: no they are so white it's not even they're super duper duper um i believe he's from belgium okay. and then she is scottish and irish okay. so they're very <laughs> she's very she's got red hair and she's adorable you know what i mean and she, bitty woman. she's from here though yes yeah. okay. he's from belgium yeah
0: but their their age i guess is probably what gets them into those general
1: there's like a 20 year age difference between them too i know it's weird there's we brought this up issue. earlier too like you i, <laughs> like <laughs> I had my own personal issue
0: when it comes to those age things and i understand like it's mine and i should but <laughs>
1: right i can't help that
0: it makes me react so hard like that it's right just... <laughs> Whew. so they come okay so they come have a big age difference and they have a very traditional gender role situation or whatever i hate saying those words i hate right. saying those words because
1: it's, it's uncomfortable it is <laughs> it's because we shouldn't
0: have to be like that but i guess that's where that's where we're at um and you're trying to break that within your relationship um do you oh how are you dealing with your bisexuality since you're monogamous that i have to ask because i'm polyamorous and i don't have the i'm curious how do
1: you um do you... we we've talked about it i mean we kind of like i'll I'll say someone's attractive and he'll agree or disagree or and that's it. But um we we just kinda live with each other, if that makes sense. We are um we're super monogamous. We've we've considered being open for a while, but like we then quickly were like, okay, no, I don't think we could do that.
0: Just know that you do you're you gonna fail miserably
1: before you succeed. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <Sure. laughs> a lot of failure. Right? That <laughs> um I mean uh, can I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, porn if that makes sense that make yeah you? yeah that's yeah. it with us and you felt like it doesn't <laughs> sorry I was like I don't know if I should no, can I say it honestly
0: I'll be honest the only thing that I if you want to call it censor although I think that's kind of a tough word um that I cut out I'll yeah cut, I'll cut for time not for content unless somebody is promoting their their religion if they just yeah talk I get about that as like my belief system is this, and so this is how it affected me. That stays in. But if you're like, come on down to my church, that no. gets cut. I don't, I don't, uh-uh. promote, I don't a, a particular religious organization. So belief is fine. Organized religion, I don't want to promote, so that's why it does not go on my show. So yeah, you can say whatever you want. Okay. Um, you, <laughs> I, just, I didn't grown, ask you're grown before. You're grown enough. Right? Enough wow, that was the oldest thing I've ever said. Like, <laughs> you're, you're grown, grown enough. enough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay.
1: Uh, You're not old. <laughs> no, I'm not, like, I want to be so
0: bad. I've I've been a ninety year old man trapped in this body my whole life. My spirit animal is, and this is, uh, here's the second oldest thing I'm gonna say. This is before your time. Um, but when uh, when I was a teenager, the movie Black Snake Moan with Samuel Jackson was out, and he was like a old black man with like a white dirty yeah, yeah That's my spirit animal. That's that's who I see when I'm looking behind the Wizard of Oz. Um, just a curmudgeon old black man with, like, socks pulled up to my knees. That's, that's me. Um. <laughs> so where were we going with this? Time? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so, in terms of your, your sexual orientation and your monogamous lifestyle, you use porn to help with that. Do you feel fulfilled as a bisexual? Do you feel like you're living a full-ass bisexual life?
1: I do now, if that you makes make sense. Mm-hmm. He, I can't ima- He... I'll say this. I think he is probably the reason I'm still alive today, if that makes sense, and he's definitely the reason I'm in college and I'm doing, Mm -hmm. and I'm out of you know recovery of an eating disorder, and you know I didn't go down a road filled with drugs and alcohol, which would be super easy, um, if that makes sense. So in a lot of ways, he saved me from a lot of the stuff going on within my life. That not that I feel obligated. I don't. I don't want to get that. No, I do not (laughs) feel obligated to be with him, and we've had that conversation. But I just feel like he's the person that, um, is supposed to be with me, and I'm not, like, attracted, like, I know that sounds weird, I'll, I'll acknowledge someone's beauty, but I'm not, like, attracted sexually to someone, if that makes sense anymore, because I have so much in my life now from him, if that makes sense, that, like, I just, I- like, yeah, I'll say someone's really hot, or, you know, dang, they're I'm really the good looking, but,
0: probably. I'm the worst, at <laughs> I hate people, right, <laughs> yeah, I'm too- I hate people, and, um, and, like, so my my husband is always, like, wanting the next partner, wanting the next partner because he likes to fall in love. He likes that. Oh, sensation. that feeling, yeah. And I'm, like, even though I'm poly and even though I'm bisexual, he's my person. Yeah. Like, he's he's the person that I can tolerate living with, who I love. Who <laughs> yeah, knows tolerate. all of my things. Yeah. Tolerate living is the yeah. thing. <laughs> for real. Uh, but, like, he knows all my things and my quirks and he understands how I need my space and the... the laid out and stuff like that and we have cats and stuff like that so all of that makes sense to me and when we have brought in other partners um shared partners that gets thrown off and then you're yeah. trying to figure out how to make it all work and uh, and inevitably in our life so far it's fallen apart because we have too much of an established history for like a new person to come in yeah. and just fill into our life because they're filling into our life it's really hard to make space so like in that respect being poly is difficult but um but in the, in, in that, in that way of just, yes, I'm bisexual. I'm, I'm primarily, the way I describe myself as heteromantic and homosexual. So like, I really only want to be with girls sexually, but I couldn't, I, I've had disastrous relationships with <laughs> yeah. women. So like, yeah. it's hard to be romantic. It's hard to exist in a romantic space with women for me. Um, and it's a lot easier to do that with him. Um, so yeah, so like that's yeah, how it, yeah. it feels fulfilling in that if I can still date women, but then I, he's my person that works. Yeah, for me. I get that. Um, I do find men attractive, but I don't find them sexually attractive until I know them really well.
1: Oh, see, Except that's different. Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah.
0: I would like ruin my life for Idris Elba. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but like the average dude that I meet or whatever, I it it could be like two, three, four months. Maybe five years in, I was like, all of a sudden, I want to have sex with you, and never right. wanted to before. <laughs> yeah. So it's a weird thing with men, whereas like with women, it's it's sight instant, yeah. On sight, <laughs> yeah, like, I need to, I'm I'm about that life all of a sudden. So, but yeah, I'm like the worst at poly because I hate. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a weird thing. So, so you're, well, you're in it, right? You're in your college age time, so you're you're gonna be forty different identities until you kind of oh, yeah. settle in the thing. As you're in recovery, though, from your eating disorder, do you still have that as a as a primary identifier for you?
1: I do. I really um, – I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it, if that makes yeah. sense. So it's a constant struggle. Constant struggle. I don't think – I know some people say they cure it, but, I mean, I honestly think I'll probably be struggling with it my whole life. Right. If that makes because sense, Because it's you an
0: know? actual mental health issue and not, yeah. not like, a dependency
1: issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, and it's also – um. I work I work with radio so and I'm working events so it's like our our schedules of eating are messed up right and like if I don't have a set schedule, it's easy for me to go, oh, you know what I had this for breakfast so I guess I can just skip this for lunch mm. and then I'll eat dinner when I get home because I don't want to spend money when I'm out and then that those two meals are now gone for me yeah and it's easy for me to to tell someone because that's how I hold myself accountable to say, oh no, I just skipped a couple of meals. it's fine. you know what I mean so, <laughs> that makes sense how yeah to do the thing is that. It's That's new for me. That
0: you can do that from?
1: Yeah, I think so. I've gone through a couple different rounds of therapy with different things. I've gone to support groups and stuff like that, but um, really, you got to deal with it at home. you right. got to deal with it with you before, you know, right. you continue to go to therapy, if <laughs> that so, makes sense.
0: No, it does. Uh, so, with eating disorders, so now I'm going to try to tie it back into race a little bit, because with eating disorders, it's always been sort of primarily, or in the media, it's been presented as a white issue. Like, that we don't have... Um, yeah. Eating disorders in PLC communities, and yet my whole life I have seen nothing but eating disorders in every community mm-hmm. that I've existed in. Do you, especially since you don't necessarily identify yourself through through your races first, do you feel that there is something in your ethnic identity connected to your eating? Yeah. In, you do. Yeah, and I do. How does that How does that manifest?
1: Um, I think really with me. My whole eating disorder really began with um, food insecurity, and that started because I had one working mother in the house. My grandmother couldn't work, but at the same time, you know, we didn't have a lot of food, if that makes sense. We didn't have money for food. Mm -hmm. And I also dealt with, um, I I had people in the house that were not, You know, I had an uncle who lived with us, but he spent money on alcohol rather than food. So, like, we would have weird things in the house that um, it was easier for me to just not eat because I didn't like it or I was picky Mm. than that. But at the same time, if we didn't like food that was being served, you know, at grandma's, we didn't have to eat it. Mm. So, it was this thing where, like, food... When we had excess amounts of food, you didn't always have to eat it. And then when we didn't have any food, you didn't have to eat anything, if that makes sense.
0: What about when you, those times that you did visit your southern family? Because food in southern culture is such a huge thing. How did that impact you?
1: I just went through it with my dad. Because my dad didn't really understand. He doesn't understand. Like, he's very, you know... I can't talk about it. He's an ex-military man, so he's and he hasn't gone yeah, through his bout of therapy. therapy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what do you mean you don't eat? Like yeah. you know what I mean? That um, he uh, he does not get it at all. But when you're eating with them, as long as you eat a little bit, you'll be fine. As long as there's a dog and you can give the dog the leftovers, you're fine. Oh. If that makes sense, because <laughs> clearing your plate is a big thing. You don't take more than what you need, and you know don't waste anything. If that right. makes sense in the households I've I've been in, that um if you i i just always grew up as a picky eater that was it so because i was a picky eater it was easy to say i didn't want to eat that Mm. so i think it was tied in that way for me but i also grew up with like southern families are very vocal about weight that like i still
0: simultaneously too fat too skinny need to eat more and yeah. You need to calm down. Yep. <laughs> I have soda
1: family too. I drank, yeah, I was drinking a soda and my uncle was like, be careful, you keep drinking that, you're going to get saddlebags. When I was like 14. Wow. From everyone. Yeah. So it's like that weird, it was weird, that yeah. that's still, my mother bit his head off. I love my mother, but oh my <laughs> God, she lost it. But Yeah,
0: because it's talking about your 14 year old body
1: exactly and it's like ew like yeah, yeah, <laughs> why do you yeah, care if i have saddlebags true. like <laughs> yeah
0: the japanese and black sides <laughs> so my back, black side is southern and my japanese side is from japan but both you are too fat and need to eat more and you're turning down love if you don't eat yeah also. yeah so like, when you're throwing military which we are too clearing your plate is like when i was out <laughs> when i was deployed i had to eat whatever was available to me so how dare you in the comforts of your american household not <laughs> yeah plate, right it yep. so was tons of baggage. And part of that baggage feeds into
1: how you developed your... Yeah, I, I'd say so. I don't think I was born with it. I think it was something that... And I also think it was a control issue within my house um, because of drug use and abuse and all that other stuff going right. on. That was one thing I could control as a kid and that I learned to control as I got older. That no matter what was going on, the chaos that was happening behind the curtain mm-hmm. that no one really knew about, or you know the identity issues I was struggling with, I controlled that. that and That was so this easy. One
0: place in which you had that sense of
1: control. And I think a lot of it, um, like I said, I'm a woman, but like I, I developed very early because I was hella tall. I was like five four in like fourth grade. I was huge. That I also developed early, so it was yeah. like I wanted to be, you know, a woman, but I wanted to have the right curves and you know right. a tight little waist and you know. I wanted to fit the same clothes that everybody else was fitting because they were smaller than me mm-hmm. because they hadn't reached their developmental stages. Right. You know, at the same time.
0: so you're you're pre middle school even before you start.
1: I I got my first training bra in fourth grade and I got sent to the office because my bra strap was showing. Isn't that weird? By a, whole a whole woman. Other
0: thing. It's a whole other thing that yeah. Our, we're our...
1: I'm like, I, this is awkward. Like,
0: it's obvious that we are women ends up being the thing that we're distracting the boy is you have to go change. You have to hide whatever. Um. Well, yeah,
1: I had a male teacher and I had a female aide and the female aide sent me to the office, but the male teacher didn't care. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: That's a whole nother.
1: Yep. <laughs> the, I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, like, yeah. when you start to get
0: into the things that affect us as, as um, women identifying people, that it's it's just a whole bunch of fuckery. Um, but are you <laughs> so at true. least in your healthiest way that you've been, like, in terms of your age or you're the healthiest that you are, like, mentally about it and
1: um, right now I am, yeah. Um, I did. I relapsed um, probably two months ago really, really bad, where I went to um, a very, very dark place, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure how to handle it. So then I went to my amazing teacher on campus and said, Hi, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh, <laughs> and 100%. she was like, okay, well, here are our resources, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, That's it's good. Tara. She's awesome. Okay. That. So it's good at least that Lisa, you
0: have that foundation, especially if you're in school and you're getting that. Before we start to wrap up though, I would like to ask you, even as you're probably going to shift in your identity for years to come, what is, at least right now, your favorite thing about being mixed?
1: I like, um, how do I say this? I'm going to think. I just like that um, the confidence I've found in it, if that makes sense, that um, I think the conversations are now starting to be more and more. About, you know, this is who I am. I'm not a box, you know, Mm -hmm. that I fill in, if that makes sense. But this is part of my identity. And um, I think as people become more vocal about it, the conversation is going to happen. And I think there's going to be a shift. I hope there's going to be a shift. I know the people in power right now, there might not be a shift, you know, within the next, how you know, two years, year and a half. um, That's going to happen. But I really hope that um, people of color and, and mixed races can feel... Like, their whole, if that makes sense. And, and, like, what they have to say is important. So yeah. I like that I have a voice. And sometimes it feels really white, and sometimes <laughs> it feels, you know, Hawaiian or Native American yeah. or Korean or fill in the blank, but, yeah. you know, from what I come from. But, um,
0: but you're starting now to own that voice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. I think I finally have found, like, a little bit of confidence and, like, this is what I come from, and I'm proud of that.
0: Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and, and to coming here. I know that it's, I mean, it's weird for the first time. <laughs> yeah, <I get laughs> this is weird. That, but I do appreciate you sharing. And, and just my favorite thing about this show is presenting all aspects of mixedness because we don't have a whole lot of representation. Or if we're represented, we're represented in terms of just a, a binary biracialness or whatever um and there's you know we're obviously a lot more complicated than that nuanced uh, culturally and and racially and stuff um so it's nice to add your story and your experience to to the whole thing and as I say always just go out there and live your mixed ass life
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> thank you
0: Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mix, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media, turn your side hustle into your main hustle.